0: So today, the three of us, uh, we have, as you see, we have Ayad Dhammadeepa visiting us and about listening. And um, we we decided to talk about this because right now, while we are all of emerging back into the world, and maybe for some of you, you feel like, well, that's already happened and... Um, I'm used to this uh, being in, being around people and um, and being engaged with people again. And others others of us have not been out in the world so much yet. We're just starting to spend more time with people, seeing people that we haven't seen in a long time. And one of the things that comes to mind around that is to bring some attention to listening, listening to, first of all, ourselves and how it feels as these conditions continue to change. I know for myself, walking around uh, in town, uh, around Maybe sometimes having a mask on, sometimes not having a mask on, being around people who may or may not be wearing masks, and greeting people and being greeted on the street, and and then seeing friends and actual hugging happens, and you know, so, <laughs> and it feels oddly strange um, sometimes, and it feels to me like in some ways, I'm sure we've all changed to some degree during this time over this last year and a half or so during the pandemic, a number of things have happened in our lives for all of us. And when we are coming together again, we really don't know fully, probably what other people have gone through. And it means that I think it's a very important time to particularly remind ourselves to use listening as, as a mindfulness practice. So um, one of the things that I noticed um, years ago actually was in listening, especially to someone who's got a lot to say to, um, to like really bring out that if if I listen really carefully, mindfully, it's a it's a lot like meditation. And of course, we we um, we want to listen not just to the words, but also to you know the feelings behind the words and how people. Um, bring, bring forth what they're, what they're experiencing or not and seeing, uh, to the best of our, uh, ability and sensitivity, you know, what's really happening with people, with the people we encounter in this time of, of change for people, you know, this kind of long period of a strange different lifestyle and many things that have gone, uh, you know, become different in people's lives. We, the neighbors is driving by. Um, We, um, we may want to give ourselves and other people more more space, more time to really express what's happening. And, and I think it's important for us to reflect on what our assumptions might be, because so often we can have an idea of who someone is, what they are like, what they like and don't like, um, you know, what their strengths and weaknesses are. And Maybe that's changed. That's actually It's actually um, a good practice anyway to have a sense of what our assumptions are, what, are uh, what we've decided about people. and then bring some flexibility around that and be willing to be with people and listen to them and and observe more like it's the first time. And some of you have heard me say this before, the importance of seeing with fresh eyes. But I've also been thinking a little bit about the people that we don't see who are in our environment or that we sort of um, might be in contact with, but we really don't even look. And it's, it's I think it's useful to think about it. I mean, in some ways the pandemic has distanced us and it might keep us more distant from one another in some ways. Um, some functions that we used to do in person may not be done in person anymore. And that might continue to be the case So we might have, in in certain ways, less contact. But we're always going to be, in one way or another, around people that we don't know or we don't really pay attention to. Like, who are the people that are invisible to us? And how can we bring some conscious awareness to that and actually extend uh, some kind of warmth and, and understanding. Again, being careful about assumptions. So instead of assuming how someone is maybe asking if it seems appropriate and listening. There's a, a story that we recently came across or some of us have heard it before, but there is a monk at the time of the Buddha who was um, was not thought well of among the other monks because he was unable to learn even the, the shortest like verse of, couldn't memorize even like one verse of the Dhamma. And I, I thought I would read his, his story to you. Because sometimes, you know, even in a group, we can, as a group, kind of make a decision about someone, and without even being aware, um, we could be wrong, and we could be um, contributing to something that hurts, especially as we think about the kind of deep divisions we have in our culture right now around... Uh, views, and opinions. So this is the story of the Arahant Chula And these are his words. And then the commentaries uh, fill in a little bit more of the details. But he said, previously, I was very weak in understanding the Dhamma. Those days, I was greatly despised. Even my own brother excluded me from the monastery, saying, Now you should leave and go home. Being excluded by my own brother, I was standing sadly at the gateway of the monastery. Still, I loved the path of the Buddha. The Blessed One came there. My great teacher stroked my head, taking me by the hand. The Blessed One led me into the monastery again. Indeed, the great teacher was compassionate towards me. The teacher gave me a piece of foot-wiping cloth and instructed me to go off and focus my mindfulness well on that piece of white cloth. I took my great teacher's words into my heart. I practiced the Buddha's path diligently. I developed the one-pointedness, which directly led me to the supreme goal, Nibbana. Now I have the knowledge to recollect my past, my previous lives, and I also purified my divine eye. I've achieved the triple knowledge. The Buddha's path has been fully followed by me. That day, I, monk Pantaka, created thousands of monks that looked just like me. I was sitting in that beautiful mango grove until the time for the meal was announced. Then my great teacher sent a messenger to me to announce the time for the meal. That day I went to the meal through the sky. I worshipped my great teacher's sacred feet and sat down to one side. My great teacher only accepted food once he saw that I was seated. The one who is worthy of the offering of the whole world, the field of merit of humans, the Buddha, accepted the meal. These verses were said by the Arahant Chilapantaka. So the, the story says that his older brother became a monk and then he wanted to become a monk too. And so he did. But then when he couldn't learn a verse, like in the space of a whole four months, his brother said, you should leave. You shouldn't be a monk. You can't do it. And when he was about to leave, as he said in his own words, he was really sad because he wanted to follow the Buddha's path. And obviously the Buddha, well, the Buddha saw him there and obviously took in, (laughs) of course, he was the Buddha, right? (laughs) I don't know how much my powers of perception (laughs) are going to match up to that, but we can try. Try to understand what's really behind what is uh, apparent on the outside it's kind of tricky isn't it because to do that without making assumptions to really to really try to be ready to hear and see what the person is actually presenting to us but then to recognize as the buddha did that Chulapandaka had this incredible potential and to be so kind and compassionate and it says in the stories that the, the brother was the one who was in charge of arranging the meals, and uh, the Buddha's physician asked to feed all the monks in the monastery along with the Buddha. And when the meal, and and when um, when he was asking to be able to do that, uh, Chulapandika's brother said, "Well, all the monks will come, but not Chulapandika because he's leaving." And uh, Chulapantika overheard that. It made him feel very sad. And this is why, when the Buddha came for the meal, he said, "Oh, I think there's there there's." He saw that Chulapantika wasn't there, and he said he sent someone back to the monastery to check if all the monks had come. And then there were a thousand Chulapantikas, and they. He asked who, where Chulapandika was, and they all answered, here, <laughs> it's me. <laughs> I know, these things with psychic powers, you may think, oh, that's kind of unrealistic. But actually, there are a lot of weird things that happen. Um, it's quite possible. And the Buddha said that Chulapandika was the foremost, this is in the Anguttara Dikaya, in the mind-made... Um, they say that mind made being my body bodies. bodies yeah, yeah. Like so that. he produced all these yes. these replicas of himself and um but then when he came to the meal all uh, all the other uh, replicas had vanished and and then the Buddha ate or uh, accepted the meal which is really it's like how can we take this story in and think of um, how to apply it in our life like who's the one we leave out and how can we bring them in? So, those are just a few thoughts for your reflection. And now I'm going to turn it over to Ayatamadeep. Sadhu, so, Do you mind so, so, so. if I restart this one?
1: Yeah, please go ahead. And I'm not sure, did it yeah. run out of battery? Yeah. So, excuse us for one second. We're going to try a little technical uh, thing. We lost it. It wasn't fully plugged
2: in. Okay, so mm. a little
0: intermission here. Okay. <laughs> well, <the bill's laughs> thanks up.
1: for your patience, everyone. <laughs> and now <laughs> Sadhu Sadhu Sadhuaya, thank Ayah you.
0: Damadipa. We've had, had such a wonderful time. I have had a here wonderful here time
1: being here too. <laughs> the three of
0: us and the four of yeah. us.
1: <laughs> yeah. So thank you for uh welcoming me to Karuna Buddhis Bihara and to mm. this program. And um uh I just want to begin, again, visiting why this topic of listening. So also, if you are having trouble hearing me, <laughs> before I even start there, please do wave or say something, because sometimes I, when I'm speaking, I tend to lower the volume of my voice. So this topic of listening at this moment in time, when... There is, I think, uh, such a strong polarization happening. Strong polarization of views happening within the United States, and even among people around the world, right? Various civil wars that are being fought, or perhaps on the brink of such things in places like Afghanistan or, and so really thinking about how to have encounters with people whose views are so radically different from ours is I think a very important skill that we can bring by our practice and specifically our practice of listening, listening with compassion and listening with a kind of fearlessness. And maybe that sounds like a high bar, but I'm going to read you a bit uh, from the Dhammapada, and then I'm going to tell you a story that I hope is uh, going to illustrate this a bit. And I just need to turn this yeah. clock so that I can see it well, because so I can tell what time it is. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, so this is just a little bit from the just chapter, and this is Acharya Buddha Rakita's uh, translation of the Dhammapada. There are, as many of you probably know, quite a few, many, many different translations, so feel free to look up your favorite one about the chapter of the just. So, the Buddha says, exhorts us by saying, not by passing arbitrary judgments does a man. So, so uh, Venerable Buddha Rakita uses this word, a man, and I'm going to go ahead and adjust for gender neutrality and um, hope to be successful at that as I do that on the fly. So, not by passing arbitrary judgments does a person become just. A wise person is one who investigates both right and wrong. One is not wise, so I'm skipping skipping a, a verse there, and then one is not wise because one speaks much. One who is peaceable or peaceful, friendly, and fearless is called wise. And so thinking about an example of this, what came to mind was a story about um, a rabbi and his family and a grand dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. And this story was written up in a book called Not by the Sword by Wilmington Watterson, and a book from 1995. And I I will say front that I haven't read the whole book, but I've read excerpts of it and some uh, write-up of of, uh, Rabbi Weiser that was in the New York Times and various other materials around this, because it's such an impressive story about listening. So, so Rabbi Weiser and his, and his wife, Julie, and their five kids moved to Lincoln, Nebraska, in the hopes of finding a place where they would experience less discrimination as Jews. And they, and they went to Lincoln and very shortly found out that Lincoln was the home of Larry Trapp, and Larry Trapp was the Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan, and member also of many different uh, racist groups. And uh, he also lived in Lincoln. And so very shortly after they arrived, he uh, or some somebody who the police thought was him, uh, Larry Trapp, called them at home and threatened them and said, you know, you'll regret moving here, you stom, and, you know, you're not welcome here and sent them some Nazi materials in the mail and uh, basically started a campaign against them. And interestingly, then the the way that the story is told is like, is they had to think about what was an appropriate response to this because they weren't going to be moving back to where they came from. And so they started learning more about Larry Trapp, actually. And Larry Trapp also had a radio show um, in which he was spreading a lot of, obviously, hate and fear. And so they would listen a little bit to, to Larry's radio show and actually call in in an effort to, to uh, fill up the phone lines so that people could, other people couldn't call in and make racist comments. <laughs> And they found out that that's illegal, actually. You can't really do that. So they stopped doing that. But it what it did was that it put them in the position of listening to some of what was happening and some of what he was saying in the world. And so Michael Rabbi Weiser called, actually, Larry Trapp at home and left a voicemail saying, you know, there's a lot of love in the world and you're not getting any of it. <laughs> Because you're all about hate. Mm -hmm. Because you're all about hate. And so eventually they started actually calling each other and they weren't necessarily having a great conversation. There was actually, according to the stories, there was quite a bit of conflict in those early conversations. And yet somehow they were also hearing what was happening for one another. Because eventually then, uh, Julie and, uh, and Rabbi Weiser invite, asked actually Larry Trapp whether he needed help with his groceries because he'd had un, uncared for diabetes for a long time. And so he was in a wheelchair and had both his legs amputated and he was nearly blind. And that kind of stopped him in his tracks. And he said no at first, but eventually he did say yes. And so they stayed engaged with one another. Larry also had some instances of having a Vietnamese woman help him into the elevator in this way that really touched him. He said brought him to tears at one point. One of his nurses, former nurses, wrote him a letter about Christian love. So he was also listening at some level. He was also listening. And he was being listened to by the people in his life. In in what is a relatively short period of time, he actually left the Ku Klux Klan. He wrote apology letters. He left all of the racist organizations he was involved with, and he started actually giving information to the police about how to work against the Klan. And he became such close friends with the Wisers and their family that toward the end of his life, he actually stayed with them for a bit. And they helped care for him toward the end of his life. So again, there was a sense of fearlessness. They they brought, the Weissers brought their sense of fearlessness, of courage, of engagement, of listening to Larry. There's also a story in which they heard Larry say in his radio show, oh, something something's changing for me. And so... So Michael called up and said, hey, what's changing for you? So that at the time when Larry decided to start leaving the clan, Michael was the person he called. Rabbi Weiser was the person he called. So we become a trustworthy person by invoking our compassion in this way, in this way of listening deeply, even to folks whose whose views seem impossible to understand what to deal with. And so we become fearless in the world. We become somebody who's trustworthy and, and can be approached in the world. And we also we develop a kind of fearlessness in our own hearts that by our practice of compassion, we learn how to meet this world that is so confused. So confused and so polarized. So I want to finish just by reading this little bit of the Dhammapada again. And then I'm going to turn it over for Ajitananda to tell her, her part of listening. So again, this is from Dhammapada, the chapter on the just. Not by passing arbitrary judgments does a person become just, right? Like Larry Trapp, for example not by passing arbitrary judgments about others. A wise person is one who investigates both right and wrong. One is not wise because one speaks much. One who is peaceable, friendly, and fearless is called wise. (laughs)
0: Sad, dude, sad,
2: dude. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I don't feel like I need to say anything. <laughs> Those, Those were oh, great. Okay, I'm gonna share the screen. Um, after hearing about listening to each other and other people with compassion, pretty inspiring. I'm like. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, I decided to talk about listening to the Dhamma. So this sutta I shared on the screen is from the Ngutra Nikaya, number out of the Book of Sixes, number 88. Bhante um, calls it wanting to listen. Let's scroll down a little. It's very short, so that's good. <laughs> okay, I'm going to read it in case anybody's not looking at their computer right now. And um, mendicants, someone with six qualities is unable to enter the sure path with regards to skillful qualities, even when listening to the true teaching. What six? When the teaching and practice proclaimed by the realized one is being taught, they don't want to listen. They don't lend an ear or apply their mind to understand them. They learn the incorrect meaning and reject the correct meaning. They accept views that contradict the teaching. Someone with these six qualities is unable to enter the sure path with regards to skillful qualities, even when listening to the true teaching. Someone with six qualities is able to enter the sure path with regards to skillful qualities when listening to the true teaching. What six? When the teaching and practice proclaimed by the realized one is being taught, they want to listen. They lend an ear and apply their mind to understand them. They learn the correct meaning and reject the incorrect meaning. They accept views that agree with the teaching. Someone with these six qualities is able to enter the sure path with regards to skillful qualities when listening to the true teaching. Yeah, I like the list. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's a good list. It makes me think of um, a lot of times people kind of who don't have very much faith perhaps come to listen to dhamma talks by various teachers and they're trying to find the faults in what the teacher is saying or in what the buddhist teaching and they're not really coming to this for the right reasons so i think the attitude matters nobody here falls into that category i'm sure (laughs) looking at everybody everybody's been coming to our other teachings and like actually interested in the dhamma so that's good but Um, yeah, it's it's attitude that matters so much when we're listening, like the attitude of compassion for other people or just being truly open to it. And it's the same with the Dhamma. If you're coming to it for the right reasons, having that openness and wanting to hear it and wanting to learn and try to look at things in a way that is in accordance with the way things are instead of how we want them to be, perhaps. (laughs) Like, Sometimes letting the defilements control what you're hearing instead of just being open and listening and thinking about it in terms of the teachings and other factors in the Dhamma. Um, And yeah, uh, along the lines of attitude while you're listening, it makes me think of when we were in Thailand, or they do this at the City of 10,000 Buddhas, too. They'll play a Dhamma talk during chore time or during the meals or something. And so you're kind of half listening, kind of working, but I, I really like it. I feel like even though I'm not intensely listening to every word with all the reverence that is probably due when I'm not doing other things, having that touchstone like going on in the background for when my mind is wandering and I'm not being very mindful of whatever it is I'm doing, scrubbing the floor, or, you know, my mind is wandering off to have something playing that's dhamma helps keep me grounded so it's like okay come back to this (laughs) not you know what i'm going to do in two weeks or you know whatever other topic is coming to mind or like i can't believe that person left that over there that's terrible (laughs) you know so having the the openness to want to hear the dhamma and be in touch with it i think is really important even when we're you know maybe not as, as this says, you want to, like, really be focused. So when you can't, just having the receptive attitude. That's all <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Sadhu. Sadhu. sadhu,
0: sadhu, sadhu. Okay, so I think um, we'll stop sharing. Yeah. And turn to some meditation and let this